welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters have been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorin, and I'm joined by... Oni. There's a crack in the mirror and a blood stain on my bed. There's a crack in the mirror and a blood stain on my bed. You were a vampire and baby, I'm the walking dead. Oh, you were a vampire and baby, I'm the walking dead. Woo! Suffocating the advantage for that, Dave. Oh, my God. Oh, I passed out for a second. How did it sound? I, I feel like I blacked out. <laughs> and that is DM Dave, our rock and roll DM, singing. Actually, I don't recognize that song. What is that one? Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, early 90s, like 1990, Concrete Blonde, song called Bloodletting from the album Bloodletting. I feel like you were really into the vampire thing in the early 90s. Actually, you know what? I'm going to have to give a Who shout out it? to... I'm going to have to give a shout out to my buddies. I was super into it, as we discussed last episode. But I'm going to give a shout out to my buddies, former band Blitz Kid, uh, because on one of their records, they did a version of that. And they used to do it live. And I just dubbed the song so much that I had to go back to listen to the original. Definitely it's, not vampire. it's literally called Bloodletting, parentheses, the vampire song, and parentheses. So yeah. That's a great choice for tonight, because tonight we are going to talk about the bloodletting and perhaps letting Dave's blood because today is a very special episode because we are joined by most of the players who were in the Curse of Strahd game we just wrapped up. So if you listen to last week's episode, their DM's review of Curse of Strahd, this is going to be the player's review of Curse of Strahd as you have me, Tony, Dave, and we're also joined by my wife, Shannon, who played Rose. We're joined by Dave's girlfriend, Bonnie, who played Little One. We're joined by Dave's brother, Chris, who played Scar. And we'll get into who everyone was and how we played and what everyone thought about the game and how the interaction went down. So the best way to start this is probably just to kind of go around the table and talk about, you know, just just real quick, kind of who you are and, and, and what you played in the game and why you brought that character into Barovia. And I think uh, I'd be happy to, Thorne. So I'm I'm DM Dave. I actually played every single character in Barovia minus six of them. So including <laughs> Count Strahd von Zarevich. So thank you. Uh, nice to be here. I, uh, I always thought you looked best as Baba Lasaga. Some shit like that. I always thought you looked best as Baba Lasaga. You know, the cosplay we never talked about. That's it. The chicken oh. legs, the, 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 the Eastern European, you know, grandmother oh, stars. No. Oh, you like the babushka. Oh. So we've talked a lot about our three characters. We'll go through them real quick before we get to before we get to our guest here. So I played Phineas. I played a Fae Pact Warlock. I went about I went into him in depth in the last episode, if you listened to that. But basically, Phineas came there with the job from his patron to just troll Strahd and make his life hard. That was my whole point in the game. Just basically try to make things as anti-strat as they could. So that's what I came in to do. Tony, why don't you talk just briefly about Hawk Morgan? So I've been accused of in the past of making characters that were too interesting and different. So in this case, I chose a human barbarian. And I showed them because I took the most white bread type of character I possibly could. But I did it in the most ridiculous way I could because I based them on Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and hilarity ensued. And speaking of hilarity, Bonnie, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into the game and Little One? 
That's a good question. How I got into the game is I love playing D&D. And so as soon as a game is mentioned, uh, Dave knows that I'm already playing. So that's how that started. But as I've listened to a lot of the podcasts, my character gets talked about a lot due to her impulsiveness, into her insanity of things that she does. Little one specifically, though, is a lot of who I am as a person. And I'm also short. I'm only five foot. So you add that into it. Plus, I'm a fixer and I do a lot of uh, various ways of fixing things. So being an artificer was just a natural uh, fit for me. So and it was very easy to play her because it's taking my personality and putting it into the game. So let me just ask, because we do talk about her a lot. As In the last episode, I called her point blank an engine of chaos. Like, that was almost your class. Is that <laughs> fair, or do you feel like or, or, do you, or do you feel like we take that a little too far? Like, do you feel like that's who you were trying to be as a character? Well, no, I can see how it was perceived that I would be that. And I had a question originally for the, the team, because I gave everybody a little snippet of Little One in the invite that the birds found you where I started off with the story of these two kids and then I squirreled it and just went off on a tangent and then brought it back to, Oh, by the way, so if you found this and then kind of went off again. So I introduced little one's personality. At least I thought I did from the moment I sent the invites out. I think so. Now I have to, that was a funny thing because I remember when I got the invite, I was confused by where it was coming from and what it was. So I came into the game. I remember and finishes like, Oh, we just were all told to meet in the tavern. Right. And I hadn't quite picked up what was going on with that, but I do get the impression. Like I kind of came in, expecting little one to be someone who was going to be someone who was easily kind of driven. Like what I mean is like, you get something you kind of like was easily obsessive and would kind of grab a thing and kind of chase after like little one heard about these kids and boom, I need to gather a party of strangers together to go drag them to the death house to save these kids. Like it was like, little one was like kind of, she got a bone and she would just, she would just kind of chase that bone until she really kind of, until she solved that problem. That was kind of the little one character I thought it was coming in. And I didn't feel like you played that. Like, I don't feel like you didn't play that. Yeah, that, that shined through in certain moments, kind of like when my homunculus died and I went into a yeah. grief for like two campaign nights and I was just sad, moping around, holding on to something I can recreate. But I was so sad <laughs> she was gone. <laughs> so you I compare that to Phineas, who also had a, Phineas had a familiar and Phineas is a pact of the chain warlock, so the familiar is very close to Phineas, but Phineas treated him more like Lord Farquaad. Like, you, some of you are going to die, and that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Don't <laughs> worry, I'll resummon you from hell in the morning. Just go over there with the bomb and blow up with it. Because, yeah, because you really did care, whereas Phineas was a little was a lot colder uh, as far as how he thought about these things. A lot, a lot more like, oh, well, the, the, the familiar is here to get killed anyway. And that wasn't, that wasn't Little One at all. Little One was like she cared about everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So for the, what do you rest do you think of that question? Did you get Little One's character from that from that missive in the beginning? I did not know what to make of Little One when I first met her because about, I want to say, eight minutes into the first game, I interact with her and she's like, you're now my new best friend. And that was the end of the conversation. And we just ran with that for the next 25 games. 
It was the first time we played together, too. So it was the first time I really met you, let alone play. And you came in as as Hulk, like basically Hulk Hogan. And so here's a gnome looking up at a giant. So what better BFFs could there be? I couldn't tell you because then we ran. We took that train. We bought the tickets. We drove it around Bavaria. We got another train. We took it around for a second lap. And here we are. <laughs> So what about you, Shannon? Did you get uh did you get a sense of what little one was from the missive um, in the beginning? Yeah, I thought it was very much like like Bonnie is a little bit, you know. She made me laugh, you know, and just the quirkiness of her <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> about you, Chris? Oh, for sure. I mean, I had a bit of a unique perspective because her genesis was in an earlier Pathfinder game that we had played. So I'd been right. sort of exposed to her character before she, we had played a little bit as it, and then she'd sort of brought it into the Stroud campaign. That's but right. for sure yeah. with the missive, she has a, a way of role playing that uh, focuses on that versus the combat style in D&D. It's a very good, it's a good balance to everything. So I have to say though, with little one and her nature, her role play, how she handles things between her and I, that kind of set the boundaries of ridiculous for the campaign. She's running around with the jawbone of an ass, fireballing things. And, you know, I'm, I will try to maintain my Hulk. I was trying to stay in character as Harknar Morgan or Hawk Morgan for 20, 25 games. And, games like, and I don't know how I'm going to keep this up. Well, <laughs> I did my best. I kept that joke fucking rolling. Well, you said you said in the previous episode, because we often compared her to Miss Elizabeth in the whole Hulk Hogan thing. But you said there was another one she reminded you of, right? It reminds me somewhere between Harley Quinn and Wendy Richter. Yeah, I think it's excellent. Yeah, that, I, I think that's right on the money. I so agree. with that said, so we had like those like we talked about this in the last episode. We had those two characters who were the most kind of not serious in some ways. We talked about how do you do like a serious campaign? And then, as I said, we had three other very serious characters, one of them being Rose, was just your your standard kind of like elven rogue, sneaky in this. And then, like I said, you had my poor brother coming in thinking, oh, my God, I finally get to do like, you know, Peter Weller and I get to, you know, Dracula and all of this. And he builds this tragic story paladin and he's in a game with the Chaos Engine this guy who's uh, who just wants to troll Strahd and Hulk Hogan, right? <laughs> My theme, so, theme, the theme song was the Great Adventure Party Bus theme. That was pretty much, you know, he was going through the campaign. There was a lot of chaos, a lot of chaos. So what do we what do we think about these other two uh, bringing serious characters in to let's, a... Let's uh, you brought up Rose first. So, so Shannon, so why don't you talk a little bit about why you came into the campaign and what you were playing with Rose? Um, why well, I came in the campaign? Well, me and you have been together for about 26 years. Yeah, yeah, a long time. So I play off and on. I'd say this time, this couple of years since I've been playing with Bonnie and Dave, that I've enjoyed it more. <laughs> yeah. Especially because um, normally I play like a wizard or a mage and I never realized that how hard and different they are compared to playing like a rogue or a fighter. So I found playing a rogue, I liked it more, you know, so, but I play uh, Rose, a dark elf who is a rogue. And I think my family was, I'm very, (laughs) I never remember details very well. Well, that's Um, all right. It's actually a good point that I wanted to kind of ask you, Shan, is that, so I played in several games that were I've run where you've been a player and we talk oftentimes on the podcast about what do you do if somebody doesn't give you like this, 
you know, I I roll out some three page backstory on, you know, yeah. Tony or or Thorne. And they're like, Jesus Christ. OK. And, you know, I'll ask you and you'll be like, I'm this person. I do this. I'm from here. And then you kind of like that's that's where I'm going. Yeah. So I filled in a lot of, in essence, backstory with you tying your character into Barovia. How did that reflect you? So you were a wood elf, but I kind of turned you into, oh, by the way, these dusk elves are in Barovia, and those are your tribe that you thought were massacred. So I started to fill in that. Did that feel like too much or like, hey, dude, this is my character? No, no, for me, that's fine. Um, I have a really hard time, I guess, with role playing, you know, because not only um, I mean, even if I had made up background, I probably wouldn't remember either. (laughs) I just have a hard time with memory, memory wise. But I mean, I I like that you you came up with stuff, you know, for my background. Yeah. (laughs) My only issue is me not remembering everything. I also think, to be fair, to be fair, this is a monthly game. Yeah. And and Mm. Shannon's in another game. She's in the Woodstock Wanderers, too. So Shannon's remembering two sets of backstories, two entire stories that are being played once a month or sometimes once every five weeks. So, and I think that's a really good example of how you have the, a lot of players, I think, have a hard time keeping that thread. Yeah. And for some of us, it's easy. For me, for Tony, for Dave, it's pretty easy. For Bonnie, it seems pretty easy. For Chris, it seems pretty easy. I don't know, maybe not for Tony. Tony's over here like. Yeah, I'm in I'm two different Marvel. Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> Who are you kids? What I, I do, that too. I do yeah. stop and go, wait, which one am I playing right now? Unless it's little one. Little one, yeah. I'm good. I'm going to yeah. write yeah. that. I'm her. a pro wrestling barbarian. I'm a fighter in the campaign with my girlfriend. Um, I'm a wizard in your campaign, which actually he was in another campaign and it split. Uh, it, yeah, no. It is sort of an experiment in in self-inflicted multiple personality disorder. Oh, and our characters are ready for tomb annihilation. So how many campaigns is that? I mean, yeah. Well, not to mention, we literally have a Marvel game where we're about to play two characters each in the same game. In different tiers. Different tiers. Yeah, we're going to start with character A and finish with character B. So, I mean, we're all juggling like, well, some not everyone's in every game. But those of us who are in every game are juggling at least a half dozen characters. Oh, and we're all investigators in Call of Cthulhu. Where you're crazy already. So you yeah. see, this actually all plays into the call. The, 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 the self-inflicted multiple personality thing plays into the Call of Cthulhu, really into the theme. Because we all can't remember anyway what we're doing. So it's just easy to say, well, you're, you know, you're, that, that's just because you're, you're losing your grip. But as a second point on that, just because we took this is this is great. And I, I love having Shannon on the episode because then we can really hear because I think this is something yeah. that a lot of DMs have people at the table. We talk about the different types of role players, the different types of why people come to the table. Right. So I always talk about how I'm big on story. Tony's big on story. And I will oftentimes throw something out while I'm running a game, whether it's backstory or to pull you into the plot. And it allows you the the chance, at least, or the opportunity to have spotlight if you so choose, if you want to take that as the focus character. Not everybody wants that, but I throw it out and you either toss it back or not. So, Shannon, as like like we were just saying, like a person who doesn't want to necessarily be in the spotlight hamming it up all the time, right? When I would throw something out like that, did you feel that it was um, too much, like too much focus or spotlight or that you had an opportunity to, if you so chose, join in into that? I I, I didn't feel, uh, you know, like it was too much or anything. Um, 
I mean, I tried to participate as best I can because I am yeah. kind of on the shy side. Yeah, but, no, uh, and that's that's important because Thorin said, oh, what, two episodes ago, probably half of the community are not people that want to be in the spotlight. That's probably why they're in role-playing games, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, and it's also like there's there's also the players. I'm often one of these players, although I don't do it so much anymore. There's the players who want to role-play in the sense of they want to talk about what their character does but they don't want to talk in the funny voice. They don't want to do the acting side of role playing. Yeah. You know, and that's the other thing. Like I know Shannon, like you, you're not big on the acting side either. Right. No. (laughs) Like, like, like what do you, so when, so two questions around this one, what part of it do you find you like to do? And then like, what can we do to, to kind of make it easier on you? Um, I find what I like to do is uh, kind of like if you're playing a video game similar is like, I like to kill. (laughs) That's, That's, That's my girl. That's my girl right there. Like the killing week. The essence of role playing. Six years. That's that's why. That's it. That's why we've been together since second edition. Okay, (laughs) we've been together since second edition, and that right there is why. (laughs) So, so like when we're when we're DMing you, can we do anything to make that easier on you? Um, no. I mean, not really. I mean, you guys are you're pretty good about it. You know, um, you're pretty easygoing about it. You know, you don't get like frustrated because I don't remember, which is. You know, good. So that's probably the only thing I, I would ever worry about, you know, is that somebody would get really frustrated because I don't remember. Yeah, that's really good to know, too, for us, because it wasn't something I would really get uh, that I would see myself ever getting frustrated over. But it, it sounds like, you know, it's yes, yeah, that worry that you're going to be in a game and you're participating the way you want to participate in. And it's not going to be enough, basically, for the DM or something. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what you worry about. Yeah. I mean, so what about like uh, Bonnie? You mentioned you sometimes have a hard time kind of keeping the, the keeping the different games straight. Do you worry about that kind of thing? Of feeling like I have like, to like maybe, maintain like maybe a certain different. thing so that way you guys don't have to do as much. Like, what what do you mean by that when you? Say or that? I mean, like, so what Shannon's saying is she's worried like that if she doesn't remember, like the DM's going to be mad at her. Gotcha. Or you know, does that ever does that ever worry you in that way or anything or? No, there are times, though, like when I can't remember how the spell is supposed to work or how I thought it was to work. And then, you know, then I'm told, no, it doesn't work that way. But I like how you all have done this, where I would say, well, I'm going to use this. And then you all at some point would say, well, your character would know it wouldn't work that way. Because you all know, you know, the game. Don't let you burn the spell on something that's absolutely not going to work. We don't play gotcha. Yeah, we don't yeah. play gotcha with it. We but don't I play, do oh, said, well, Bonnie, sorry, that doesn't work that way. And you just you're, you're, action. Yeah. No, I said you're not, angry text in all caps with an exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's also a good lesson for all of our listeners. And I know there's been plenty of times in my gaming career where either I would let a player go through with something, let them know at the end, oh, but you should have known that wouldn't work and you wasted your spell, or DMs have done that to me. That's not a fun experience as a player. The DM should step in and say, well, your character would know this and help you understand how it's going to work, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Especially so so in, I like that. Yeah, especially if you're playing the multiple uh, multiple campaigns yeah. at mm-hmm. the same time. And that's why also, good tip, throw a bag of holding in every campaign so they know that when they put something in the bag of holding, they actually have one in that game. Because there have been many times, like, we put it in the bag of holding, and we're like, you don't have one. <laughs> it, it did take forever for Dave to give us bags of holding. That was so that's a long time. Don't we have a bag of holding here? What do you mean we don't have a bag of holding? It's eighth level. <laughs> the other thing that helped me, and this could help other uh, listeners and players, trying to keep things straight can be very difficult. What I like about Roll20 is on my spell sheet, I actually put things on there 
that technically wouldn't be there, but I put it under the cantrips. So that way in my mind, I know how many of the wand of wonder did I use before doing this or that I'm immune to acid or whatever, because I'm not going to switch back and forth through the sheets. I'm usually only on my spell sheet. So, yeah, I use that as almost like a note taking as well and put it in places so I can know where it's at. You know, that's actually a great point. Because on your on the basic Roll Twenty Five E character sheet, there is a spot on page one where you can add. Um, basically, it's for counting things like ammunition, wand charges, and you can add a new resource with a limited number. But like you're saying, you spend most of your time looking at your spells, so you're not on page one. You're on page three. Yeah. So you you put you find places to put them in there. Yeah, I just added them under the cantrips, and then I have like zero of seven used. Yeah. And then I also have the Wand of Wonder there, which I love, by the way, but um, <laughs> like totally love it. So it just helps me kind of keep things straight because otherwise forget yeah. about it. I'm not going to I'll be lost. It's yeah. too much to remember. But with all of that, I would like to say while he role played the character as the dark and silent type, I would love to hear some of the thoughts of our resident paladin, mm-hmm. my brother. Chris. <laughs> Me and Dave played D&D back in the day growing up, and we sort of started to get back into it through Pathfinder and some of the other things. And through that, eventually, uh, I got on to the Strahd campaign. I play Sir Alared Scar. He's an orphan, so the last name Scar, kind of like Snow or Stone. It was a bit of a Game of Thrones ripoff. And he's an orphan who gets starts to follow the law of Torag. And he becomes a human paladin, an Oath of Vengeance paladin, which is really awesome. If you're going to play a paladin, it's about the most ass-kicking version of the paladin that you could play there. And he's sort of damage to the table. Yeah, and part of it, it's a lot about forging your thing. He forges his weapons, and then to come to Barovia is the last step in his test to become a paladin and disciple of the Watch of uh, like for Torag for his god and everything like that. One of the cool things about your character was he was someone who had backstory in the game that he was actually following, where some of the other ones, some of the rest of us kind of brought our own stuff and weren't necessarily, I think you picked up the trail Dave left more faithfully than I think anyone else in the game. I, I think the opportunity to play a paladin in Strahd, like I wanted to be a cleric or, or a paladin because I thought that was something cool with the whole vampire thing. And then, I don't know, it's just, it was... There's something about a paladin about the knight. It's such an archetypal figure. Like there's a, it, I don't know if it makes it easier to role play it, but I could play him a little bit, a bit of the knight, a bit of Sir Scar, and he's just sort of running into danger and he's making sure the ladies are okay and stuff like that. It was very cool, especially in the context of Curse of Strahd. It's a good point because we're talking about different types of role players. And the reason we talk about that is because we have all of them at our tables, right? All of our different games have these different types. And Chris, very much like me, is the storyteller, the actor, those types of things. He he wants that deep lore stuff. So he brought a real heavy backstory to me. And Chris, as a as a throwback here, I was playing, and I've said this before in the cast, Hawk and Scar became some larger focus characters in the earlier parts of the game because of a lot of what was happening in Barovia, but also with your backstory, because we were kind of going back and forth with this whole Torag thing and the riddle of steel that you had brought. And I started to play with that and kind of throw it out to see what you were thinking. What were your thoughts on that? 
I thought that that was awesome. Like, it was something that tied it in, along with the Silver Dragon. That was cool. I don't know if that's canon for Strahd or if you started to sort of shoehorn us into certain destinies or whatever. But with the Torag thing, because you kept on bringing up and there was the different laws of Torag, right? And Torag's Oath, it had a feel of a religion. Like, you talk about world building. Like, it felt like something that this guy might go to a strange land and want to kill people for this god like have a bit of a religious fervor for this kind of thing coming yeah, from yeah. his sort of orphan background and everything like that so cool. no, i think awesome. this is one of those spots where we're kind of talking we haven't really talked about what is this torag thing <laughs> so <laughs> some of our listeners may be confused here but what was that so 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 what what is to like I, I know torag is a book deity but not necessarily from Curse of Strahd, right? So so what was the Torag thing as you put it together, uh, the two of you put it together? Well, I mean, he originally, it's the, he's the North Lord, but I believe he comes from, the name itself comes from Pathfinder. He's originally a dwarven uh, uh, god, a god okay. of the forge and stuff like that. And then we sort of tweaked it for this because I, I saw it for a way to be like a quest for order and law and mm. stuff and like the to be you know the turn by you know through the anvil and everything turned into something like a weapon for torag in this case uh the hilarity there is that in fourth edition there is a god named torag who is the god of the underworld and torture yeah and so, <laughs> you roll this character out i'm like all right well brother i'm not gonna metagame okay so you're this dark twisted pain obsessed guy all right and he's the paladin. Fantastic. Pain that paladin. Cool. It works. That is a good point, though, Tony, because we've had this in the uh, Woodstock game, too, where there's so many deities and pantheons throughout all editions and all different gaming systems and all this that you should really, like, make sure you and your DM are on the same page as to who are you worshiping and why so that they're not playing like, oh, you mean this. And oh no 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 I mean the the not the god of torture and the underworld but you know the god of the forge for instance slight difference so how did it feel to play this serious deep character with the mess of a cast that you had I found it very enjoyable like I mean you guys know from the Marvel game I like to keep it loose a little bit I find like laughter and that helps to build the story and a camaraderie how people might actually hang out and so it was fun and for him like trying to role play him a lot of the times number one you're a knight so you're you know you're a tank you're running into fights and then i had to find opportunities for him to show some kind of piousness right like that's i thought that was important that he should have moments of like i screwed up or like in christmas land when the kids all die there like he has a moment of like shaken faith because that's a lot of what drives him to do these crazy things yeah, and just just to bring that up, so that was during the Charlie Manx Christmas adventure, which was taken from Nosferatu a little bit. Yeah, a lot of the children. So a lot of the children were vampires, and vampires. Uh, a lot of the vampire children died by our hands as they tried to kill us. To be fair, and that yeah. was like things you felt pious about, right? Yeah, it was an opportunity to role play him into something more like that. But it was a lot of fun. Like I think at the table, like Bonnie had something that was unique to it. Uh, I think, Thorin, you're very, you kind of take command, like you were, Phineas kind of led the charge there. I think Tony Handel was a, a great as having the Hulk Hogan thing added a really cool element to it and everything like that. 
and Shannon being there as a death dealer with the sneak attack damage and everything like that. Like it was a really cool table. So I didn't have to do a lot and I could speak in a cool voice sometimes and say some things like taste my blade or something like that. Right. And <laughs> drop a couple divine smites. And all of a sudden I'm doing 70 points of damage by later levels or something like I, it's uh, the paladin. It's a lot of fun. So, I mean, it was along with the group of people, it was a great time. Yeah, it's interesting because I never thought of this, but the two biggest damage dealers in the party were Rose and Scar. Yeah. And, you know, I don't necessarily, and, you know, sometimes in D&D you run into a situation where your huge damage dealers kind of dominate the rest of the party because they kind of kill everything real fast. I don't feel like that happened here. I feel like we kind of all were very balanced. And even though, yeah, so Scar and Rose were the only two people who would put out like 75 points of damage. Insanity. Yeah. Don't forget, don't forget little one's grease spell that always yeah. got the DM. <laughs> Not a damage dealer, <laughs> but it's a real fuck you to your DM. It is. It is. Don't, yeah, don't yeah. sleep on the grease spell. It's a <laughs> oh, real no one can move. Great. So I can't get to any of you. Nope. Meanwhile, Phineas is up in the stands, you know, uh, throwing a, a sickening radiance out there. Oh, that's a great spot for it right there. Yeah. Radiation grease. Now we're but That was a great point to have it during when I decided to put WrestleMania in Barovia. So why not have werewolves be slipping like they're in Scooby-Doo, right? <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, it was Canada. perfect. It was. perfect. I can but swear yeah, that was the, the box. party had a lot of balance. Like, I feel like we all had moments to shine. I feel like we all did stuff. We all had times when we kind of delivered maybe the death blow or the lockdown blow or just the thing that really turned the turn of the tide. We all had moments. You know, I don't feel like this was a party that was like overshadowed by any one player. No, not especially not in terms of tactically, you know. And like we were just saying, anyone who wanted to have the time to speak or monologue had that ability to at least I attempted to create that in terms of social encounters and such. So why don't we go around and talk about some of the things that really stood out that you remembered? Because at this point, oh, and by the way, if you do want to hear more, if you want to see more about the Charlie Manx Nosferatu Christmas adventure, that article's on the site now. So you can go to threewisedms.com. You can check out Dave's article about how he put that together. So and that's all there for any of our listeners who want to see it. Run it. Everybody, Absolutely. listeners, run it for Christmas. Do it. Just in time for Christmas. Just in we, time. Uh, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Here's abducted children. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys remember most from the Curse of Strahd? Right, because we're through it now. We've done the main campaign. Now it's like whatever Dave takes us to next is out of the main module. So what do you guys think of it? Now it's just in my head. <laughs> yeah, now we're just in Dave land. God help us. <laughs> Dave Rovia is where we are yeah. for the rest of this. I think the Death House was extremely memorable. I know Dave put his special little uh, sauce in there, but Really, that set a very solid tone for what we expected in the first campaign. And in one of the first battles we got in, and I had not played a barbarian before, we went up going against an armored suit. It was animated. And I'm like, no, no, I'll conserve my rage for later. And my character had his ass handed to him. I was beat up and thrown down the stairs. Nobody remembers this, but this happened. I was yeah. at the bottom <laughs> of the first stairs with like two hit points left. And I'm like, this is going to be a long campaign. <laughs> <laughs> the Death House is you know, the Death House is a hard that is a hard adventure to start with, especially when they when the Death House literally starts trying to kill you and you realize no 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 that's really going to kill me because Phineas dropped during that campaign during that adventure too. Yes. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm glad to hear that though, Tony, because it surprises me how many people on the boards and and Facebook and things like that the groups 
don't like it and say skip death house it's it's garbage just start them at third level and i'm like i think you're missing a big big opportunity to set the parameters for your game people always want to set that tone here's the way to do it well that's how uh, tony and i became bffs too because little one has to get out of this house with her tiny little legs (laughs) while everyone's running because the house is trying to kill us that he picks me up like a little two-year-old style and puts puts me literally on his shoulders with legs wrapped around with my hands holding his head and he runs through these blades that are trying to kill both of us at the same time and i'm just holding on for dear life it's like a horrific (laughs) disneyland all i could say is that's a wonderful moment to look back upon and laugh i'm glad that that didn't end with us both taking 15 slashing damage (laughs) it was close it was close that was a great opening moment. Uh, Esther Hill, we played that on Halloween. That was that's true. We did, yeah, last Halloween. A, a memorable event. What about Chris, Bonnie, Shannon? You know, what what do you guys? Because you know, the we talk a lot about what kind of stands out to us from our adventures. What do you guys really feel like? You like was really cool and that you really found memorable. For me, it's uh, I'm always in awe of the people like Dave and Chris and uh, Bonnie who can do like the voices and get really into it. It I just that that makes me laugh. You know, I just it, it's a good time. Um, and then I remember, you know, like parts of the story, like the Baba Yaga house and uh, the, yeah, of course, can't forget Baby Walter. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the curse of Hawk Morgan. Uh, Do you also want to go find a way to rescue Baby Walter <laughs> as part of like our second act? I, I feel really happy, pure. Yeah. <laughs> He's in there. Like I said, I'm taking it to level 20 with Baby Walter. You guys Baby Walter is somewhere. He, he's somewhere on the ninth plane of hell. We're going to need to go rescue him <laughs> As from inside his infernal engine, CR-38. <laughs> I really like the Irina stuff and the village with the abbot there. Um, I really loved the way that you brought in the universal monsters into the different spots. Uh, the, there was a Frankenstein sort of section there, right? There was the mummy. <laughs> There was there was Dracula, there was wolves, right? Which was Scar is like mortally afraid of now because I got my ass handed to me several times by wolves in the first couple uh, sessions there. But that I thought that was really awesome. Uh, the stuff with the way that you had the wrestling match and stuff, I thought that lended something cool and different to it that meant something to the party, right? It was kind of the way that we were playing the world there. And some of the interesting ways we came up with... Uh, like we started a campaign against Strahd. Like there was somebody with a printing press and Phineas had them start printing up uh, packets to send out against Strahd to build up like a, a whisper campaign against him. I had wished that we would have been able to take it even further, but it was so end game. Like it was near yeah. the end. That, like there was nowhere to really go with it, but it was it, fun. It was fun to it, start to play with it. If there's like mechanics for a whisper campaign in like 5e where you can find out like how much influence your packet had as it went out amongst the population. I mean, that was that was a lot of stuff I really enjoyed about it. It was for me. I love Universal Monsters. So it was a way to interact with all those things Like we encountered everything. Hags, Baba Yaga. There was vampires, of course, uh, you know, Frankenstein. There was uh, Nosferatu. Sorry. With that, I was glad you 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 picked up on that. I think most people probably did by the end because I literally was putting out tokens of the Universal Monsters. But I've said before that Curse of Strahd, to play it, to really get the most out of it, it's playing with the Universal Monsters. The only things that are missing are the mummy. So I added the mummy. He's not in there. I've, I've 
spoken on the cast before that I added him in with the pyramid, but that worked into Fenris, the cleric's backstory as like a deity. I wondered if the Egyptian thing was that. I'm, yeah, I'm no, no it's, I completely put that in. The only thing you, I also put in that you guys didn't get to, unfortunately, was I did have the creature from the Black Lagoon. I was going to say there. that. Where oh, was he? he was in there. So he was in there. You just didn't get to him. And by the time you would have got to him, it would have been a sad, like it would have been beating on like a minnow. It would have been really bad. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, one deep one who we basically kill with one shot. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad you picked up on that, you know, being a fan of like the old stuff and the Hammer films and things like that. I think it's a big part of that story is right. It's a vampire story. I bet a lot of Barovia is about all those different monsters. And I mean, it's as horrific as it's going to be. It's a role-playing game, but it still had something to it. So. Real fast, Chris, um, you found arguably the coolest weapon in the entire freaking campaign. And we were like level, like just after Strahd came out, gave us like put our faces in the toilet and then walked away. We found that sword. What was that like? The sun sword. The sun sword. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was amazing. It really changed him. Uh, I mean, as you got higher levels, he was a two handed fighter. And as you got up into the higher levels, the non magical weapons, if I wasn't carrying two. So eventually I'm just using the sun sword the whole time. It was so powerful against the main monsters that I was going to face in it. It was uh I, I, like I don't know, like I with the Taruka deck, I guess it kind of comes out sort of how it comes out and they show up where they show up, but it was really something fortunate to get it that early. I felt pretty OP from that moment on. <laughs> Bon, how about you? What were your standouts as it were? Okay, so this oh, is where little one's gonna get real serious here. <laughs> so we already talked about some stuff, right? But as I go along, yada, 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 the story goes on for like 20, 30 minutes, and then I'm going to squirrel back into the right stuff. Um, loved being an honorary Vastani and saying it every chance I could get. Oh, yeah. Even though it had no mechanical advantage, like I didn't know where to work that in. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and then when you would use, what was it, the the other name? Was it the, it wasn't the Vastanis, it was, what Blinsky. was Not Blinsky. Buscalves? No, was it? Oh, you would be talking about something, and it wouldn't be Bastani. It was somebody else. And I'd be like, Bastani? And you're like, no. Or Obians. No, it was something similar. Okay. You'll think of it. And then yada, 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 20 minutes later, puppies. I got puppies at the end, my hellhounds. Yes, that is true. You, the, Her dark pact was, uh, for anyone uh, running it, it was Sariach, the, the hellhound whisperer. Oh, so, so cute, my puppies. <laughs> the unlimited supply of wine that I got for the party. yeah. Yeah, was... Which I will say is a weird thing in the in the mod because they they really try to push that like wine is the only joy. So like they revolve certain adventure hooks off of wine and like uh, okay <laughs> um and you know outside of Phineas I like I don't see anybody like being driven by wine you know so mm-hmm. but, Phineas like, tried to use it he, he definitely tried to bring out the wine at every opportunity yeah I mean obviously some people enjoyed it so I'm glad yes know? yes I mean we had unlimited supply because of you know I uh, negotiating skills I guess I had yeah um I think and and Tony you can correct me if I'm wrong but mm. No, you guys got the unlimited supply of wine because you returned the gem that you found at Baba Lysaga's to the yes. Wizard of mm, Wines. Yes. And that was the gem that I had mechanics because Thorne's character Phineas wanted to try to reanimate 
Baba Lysaga's hut. Yeah. And there was an avenue. I made it hard. And the artificer yeah. could have done it, but you guys were the heroes and you returned it. So you did get the, uh, you got wine as opposed to a creeping cut. Yes. <laughs> to, to be well, fair, lifetime supply of wine is something Phineas may have wanted more. That's also I true, right? right? That's the gift that keeps giving the whole year, Clark. Absolutely. Now, uh, Joni, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but one of my biggest memories is every time I go to do something, you would say, I put my hand down, I stop her by grabbing her head or her clothes or as she's running past me. But I think that started because I did the Wand of Wonders and turned into like that I was flying towards the night hag's house and you had to grab my leg to stop me <laughs> from going over there. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a, uh, well, the night hag event was actually pretty memorable too. Because yeah. we went there. And, you know, all of us are really different. And we're like, you know what? We all agree. These freaking assholes are eating kids. And then we kicked the freaking door in it and yeah. rolled them. Um, that, that, that was, that was the, uh, the, the windmill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The windmill. Yeah. That's what it was. I couldn't and, remember and what we, it was. We, we thoroughly scouted it before we went into it. Like, we actually had, like, add an invisible familiar that went up to the top floor. So we knew there were children in the building. Like, like we knew we knew what was going on before we actually literally kicked in the door. As I remember, Scar literally kicked or I me. Mean, I'm sorry, Hawk literally kicked in the door and started by throwing a witch on the table. Yeah. But to be fair, if I let Bonnie too far away from me, it was my bad because <laughs> I knew better. Well, but yeah, because they had to rescue me. So <laughs> that I will answer that me. because there was an added thing with that. I said how it's it was a little tough to the play with the arena storyline because she becomes this kind of just damsel in distress all the time. So what I tried to do, because that was starting to bother me, I just like, what's the point here? So I tried to make her this oh, I want to fight with you. And I made this whole like monologue part where she was saying that she was gonna fight with you, but she was completely inept at doing so. <laughs> so I then created, I like went hierarchy. So Hawk was having to look after you. And then you and Fenris and Rose were constantly having to run after Irina, who would be running headlong into like vampire spawn. And I always, so that was fun too. I always right? make sure I look like her too, whenever yeah. Strahd was around. <laughs> the short little one that looks like Irina. Um, let's see. <laughs> the very my, short Irina. <laughs> my infused, basically, haversack has like literally everything. I was like a klepto. Everything I could possibly take I took I remember I, that yeah yeah I could build stuff it was you know with the eye, howling eye when I made it uh, scream and I held the eyeball out at people well that was a great thing for artificers especially um we've talked about this with warlocks and the the role play potential with patrons you know and and those types of things are paladins and clerics with their deities. These role play potentials, it's fertile soil. And with artificers, the fertile soil is artificers who are not just going to be like, I just make this mm -hmm. the end and I, give me a role or whatever. But they you were constantly collecting things that I didn't know what you were necessarily going to do. But then you would turn drapes into something. You would turn a, a femur into your wand. You would do. And I really thought that that was a great flavor for an artificer to really build the character out into this weird tinkerer. Yeah, and that's my life. I constantly am tinkering with something in real life. So yada, yada, yada. I know I'm talking a lot. But two last things. One, my other favorite thing, was doing the Halloween in person and my multiple costume changes. 
Yes. I remember you wore a lampshade at one point. Literally put the lampshade on your head. It was like a share concert. <laughs> I had to keep changing. And then final note, Blinsky. I miss him. Yeah, so you Blinsky. tied into Blinsky very hard. Yeah, you, you you didn't have, Dave, you didn't have anything to do with Blinsky, though, did you? You're like, great, Blinsky, I have a player who loves Blinsky, and he's got nothing else. We've talked about this, right? Players are going to pick up whatever they're going to pick up, and you don't know what it is. So it's when you're when you're talking about some, you make up some bullshit thing, that's gospel, right? But you're, you've are you crafted this beautiful narrative to reveal, and they're like, uh, uh, cool, okay, anyway, I want to do the thing. And I was really pulling Blinsky in to do this whole, he had a mentor, that was like this legendary tinkerer, you know, this Von Weird person and Castle Ravenloft and Kathy the Bright and this sphere. And I threw it in multiple times over the games. And I don't know if Bonnie's character ever really picked up on it or not. I picked up on it, but Little One is the kind that would be okay. like Blinsky versus Von Weird. No, Blinsky. It's a Blinsky doll. Blinsky's it's a Blinsky thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Blinsky with the kids. I'm a little kid at heart. Like, it was just Blinsky. Okay. Okay. Blinsky. That's, yeah. fair. That's fair. That's fair. She wanted Blinsky. She didn't want Blinsky's teacher. Teacher yeah. old and boring. Blinsky, cool. Yeah. yeah. That's, remember that's, her. Fair. that's fair. That's, do you recall when this all spawned all this Blinsky stuff? Death House. Yeah. Yeah. Death House. We're a lot. We locked ourselves in a in like a room and a half, barricaded the door, and we all crashed there for the night because we were all beaten to shit. And there was a doll in there that was staring at her. And then that launched into this madness. I love the Absolutely. Because the doll is so ornate. And then it said Blinsky. And that just like grabbed me. It's, she became my haversack. It's hard. Yeah, it's yeah. hard, though, because that's one of the things. So last episode, we talked about where the 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 module gets a little clunky at times. Like, there's a lot of great stuff, but there's points where it's clunky. And they introduced this whole Blinsky. It's it's no Blinsky, you know, this mm-hmm. whole thing. It's and all no the fun is no Blinsky. Yeah, it's no fun is no Blinsky. And they don't really go anywhere with it. They just leave it up to you. And that's a that's a big wide avenue that you're going to drive down depending to the point where you might have people like you that just want to hang out with Blinsky and the and the thing or, oh, my God, that guy strut and decides we need to murder him. You know, and you got you and some some party might murder some poor shopkeeper <laughs> that's just trying to make dolls, you know. So, yeah, it's one of those ones where they they put a lot of emphasis on it, but for no real reason. Mm. Yeah. It's for reasons like that. When you have a character, a player that just this grabs it and loves it. I mean, I played with some of those dolls he made that he likes us. I had the yeah. one where Rose and I were, I'm like, she's so pretty and she's so <laughs> nice. And that's all I did the one time when everyone's like doing stuff. I'm in the corner just playing with dolls. I will say one thing with Blinsky that I was able to do that I thought was fun that I added completely was uh, the whole idea of when the hags escaped Morgantha and her one daughter that was still alive after bone grinder they escaped to balaki and hired blinsky under the guys they had shape-shifted to look like the party and hired blinsky to make these voodoos uh, voodoo dolls of the party and then when you guys arrived at balaki everyone was like oh yeah you were here this morning and there's dolls and that's kind of what brought you back to blinsky yeah yeah but it, we yes. didn't find all our character dolls we only found uh rose i thought it was sir scar and 
Well, yes, ones, some of right? them were destroyed and yeah. some of them you got. Yeah, because yeah, I was looking for the rest of them so I could make the collection. You wanted the whole set of Funko Pop dolls. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, like the, the Sir Scar Wrestling Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> the bobblehead. <laughs> Collect the whole set. <laughs> but, but that, that is one of those up. things where it's like, you know, you got a player who grabs on the Blinsky and it's like, okay, great. Where do I go with Blinsky and this player? And now you got you to gotta craft the whole thing because it doesn't sound like the module gave you anything else to work with. No, there's literally nothing for Blinsky. He's literally just a shopkeeper in Velaki. And he's a, he's an interesting character. The the idea of him is interesting, but there's no like there's no hooks for him. When well, that popped up, it looked like that whole evil toy maker bit. Like there was this old video game that had Faust who had these these toys that was killing children and taking their souls. And we're like, Oh, we're on to this. Yeah, we're on to this. It was absolutely a red herring. Exactly. Yeah. You're eight <laughs> sessions in, you meet this guy. You're like, we got to kill this guy before he gets anyone. He this guy. Kids, you know? And if he would have tried it, little one would have definitely got in the middle. <laughs> no, not Blinsky. <laughs> I thought for sure he was, we had like stepped into a Puppet Master episode there. But no, it didn't, didn't play out that way. So one of the things, you know, you know, uh, to get back to one of the things that Chris mentioned, the Irina uh plot line and arena being memorable and pretty cool and we all did some neat things around defending her like for instance at one point i literally went out as a changeling i literally went out dressed as arena with her stole and pretended to be arena the strad well enough because i also had the actor skill that he had to read my mind to tell i wasn't arena and then i slammed the door in his face and just told yes. him he was a bad person i could never love someone like him <laughs> but <laughs> One of the things that stands out to me is I think we saved Irina and her lover entirely by accident. Yes. Like we literally, literally have them with us at the same time because they have, they have they're they both on a quest with us. And we stumble into a town, we hit the lake, and boom, they go away. They're lifted to heaven or whatever, and Strahd strikes the lake with a thunderbolt. And I'm like, what, what, what just happened? How did this happen? <laughs> Hold on, we solved the major plot point by walking into this particular square with these two people? <laughs> well, you didn't have the two people, but what happens, it's one of those things, so in each of the chapters, there's a point where they say, here's certain events that can happen. And in Kresk, one of the things is you can reunite Arena with Sergei. His soul, his spirit, because he was killed by Strahd, is in the lake because of the magic of the morning, oh, whatever. Okay, right. I thought Sergey was one of her paladins. I'm sorry. Yeah, he calls out to her. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Thorne. You almost like, oh, we stepped on this button and it everything opened. <laughs> you know, it was totally like an Indiana Jones thing where like That's he sits down in the chair and the whole like plot is opened up, right? <laughs> yeah, that was a wild moment. And we're like, well, okay, Irina, um, go be free, be happy, <laughs> go into the lake. <laughs> Well, that's, I don't feel like we did much to save you, but you're saved. So I guess we're the good guys, right? So you guys had said earlier that a lot of you enjoyed some of the, the storyline with Arena. And I said in last episode that I was kind of eh about the Arena storyline. So I didn't mind when she went away. I didn't mind that you guys kind of activated that event. So I just let that play out uh, as it was written kind of in the in the adventure. But I know that was somewhat surprising, but overall, did the arena thing really, did it create a level of impetus for your party? Did it, I mean, it definitely gave you a quest to move. I mean, it was, you, there was something to have to keep protecting her. Like we started putting her up on the horse on Windrunner and stuff like yeah. that, because she would end up in like, 
at a point I wasn't sure how important she was to it all. And we would get attacked and I'm like, Oh my God, she's going to die. Cause we brought her with us. Right. We didn't leave her somewhere. And this is going to totally blow the entire curse of Strahd. So there was a, an element, an added element of danger. Cause she was, she became a combat PC, but initially she was a bit of a non-combatant that you kind of had to bring along and protect so, a little bit, right? So it was an a grace. I made you guys balance it a little bit, but I think that I think that adds something. That's something that you don't get a lot where there's somebody in the party that isn't fighting and you need to kind of protect them, and your actions have to be reflective of protecting them. In addition to just wailing on somebody, you know. Chris, like, you're literally the first gamer I've ever heard say, "I want more protection missions." <laughs> I, I, I am a DM at heart, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at it as with her, not only was it just a mission that we were doing, but it also invited Strahd to at least try and get to us yeah. because we had her. And then little one being little one, she just took it as like, okay, I'm going to defend her and I'm going to be by her side and I'm going to look like her to confuse Strahd. And like it just became and it morphed into what it was. Okay. Right. Honestly, I think the little one and I uh, kind of bonded with that character. So she's like, hey, I want to get out there and not be this helpless figure in the party. And we started training her and then she became more active. And no, she wasn't a master of swords expert. But you know what? She participated. Not everybody in the party has to be a master sniper or anything like that. She certainly contributed, and when she left, it was actually kind of a sad moment. It was a beautiful bit of role-playing to have to train her like that and stuff like that. It added something additional to it. She wasn't just a package we were taking from one place to the next. One way that could have paid off a little more mechanically is if she could have opened more doors for us on the social side. And the other towns. yeah, like if we if we yeah. come into to, to Wallachi and she's able to like smooth things over with the mayor or something and kind of make things a little easier on us, that would have given it a little more mechanical benefit. But uh-huh. I agree, like I didn't mind having the character around. I didn't feel like she was an odd fit. I do feel like the Strahd story with her is kind of icky. Yeah, it's like you know one step removed from a rape story. Essentially, <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm gonna kidnap you and lock you in my basement, and you're my new, and you're, well, and you're my new love. That's like the least of the concerns over some of the the topics in Curse of Strahd, as we discussed, though, right? So yeah. So I think you didn't play that up too much. Like you didn't play up the sympathetic aspect of Strahd too much, which I was glad for. Like because I don't find that that sympathetic. Like you break that story down, and it's not a sympathetic story when you get down to it, you know. So, yeah, I, I really liked the character. I liked the interaction with her. I did think it was kind of like, I just, it was weird that we kind of just all, like kind of auto-solved the quest when we weren't <laughs> meaning to, you know? It was kind of like, well, that's 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 weird. Okay, well, uh, oh, and now Strahd hits this lake with a lightning bolt oh, and catches and also, the NPCs uh, and he resurrects her. And uh, she now thinks we're gods. <laughs> oh, hey, guys, uh, make a deck save. Yeah. What do you think, uh, Shannon? Do you have any thoughts on uh, Irina? Irina was only okay to me. Um, yeah, I didn't. I guess because I'm not. I never. It's kind of very similar to like Dracula's story, you know, where yeah. he's mm-hmm. with Mina, and uh, that part. I don't know. I never really liked it, even you know. So yeah, the was, that part of the story was really like, okay. That's the first time you said something I didn't like. <laughs> I love no, and and I I appreciate that too. And the original Stoker's novelization and stuff for that time period, but 
that is definitely a thing. And I said last episode that the arena story, it's a little like, all right. I mean, it's there, but I think that's where you get a lot of DMs coming out and starting to write arena as a much more for, uh, formidable character who is active in the party and maybe is above her brother is Mark and things like that, just to change up the, cause everyone already knows, right? They know the Dracula story. So you want to spin it on its head. So I appreciate that Jen is, is saying like, yeah, it's, it's cool. But like, we've seen that we've seen that story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, put that in perspective, Tony has seen Curse of Strahd five times now. So, <laughs> I mean, we've all kind of seen pieces of it. <laughs> True. All five editions. But of I bet he's novel. never seen it played this way. No. So. And there's a lot of lore surrounding that, but the module, at least we didn't see it, wasn't really fourth when that really... That's true. Right? Like, you, of course he wasn't yeah. a sympathetic villain, but you know what? You, we really never tapped into Strahd's motivations. He was just this evil douche. He was pushing everybody around. He beat us up. He's like, you're losers. Gave me a wedgie and ran off. <laughs> Strong rules, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and then he took my, my, my bandana and left. And that His was motivation was Irina, though. No, but I, I understand what Tony is saying is that I, I, ta- I probably could have tapped that vein a little bit more. Is what you're saying, Tony? Well, I don't feel that the module really gave out more... We found he, we found the home of Strahd. At that point, that should have been like, well, he was this nobleman, here is his brother, uh, and then it would have really laid forth some of those events. Uh, but unfortunately, the problem with Strahd is also the kind of thorn point. A sympathetic villain needs to have some degree of redeeming qualities, and Strahd honestly doesn't. He's yeah. just really, truly evil, at least in anything that I've read on him. Um, he is redeeming it's a lot of good his effective qualities as a tactician, as a wizard, as an archetype vampire. But he even Darth Vader had some redeeming qualities deep down under that burned face of his. I will say, if you read I Strahd, which I know I did in college, and I think Tony's read I Strahd as well, yes. he comes off better in I Strahd than he came off in this adventure. Because there wasn't like we I yeah, I don't remember getting a lot of lore on Strahd in this. I don't remember getting a lot of background or any reason we'd sympathize with him. And as we said in the DMs review we did last week, if you look around at what kind of king is he, he's running a shitberg. Like, I mean, he's the worst monarch I've ever seen. He can't even keep his own bridge leading into his own castle in shape. This is a bad king. Like, Plato would have thrown a fit over this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And in the adventure itself, there's not. they don't really portray Strahd as really the... They portray him as a as a complicated villain, you know, a complex, but not a sympathetic one. Um, so that's a very good points. They so, made they named it Curse of Strahd. Like I think it's difficult to make him sympathetic when it's pretty much focused from the beginning when you accept the campaign and the module itself that Strahd is the ultimate villain there. It's difficult to paint him as anything more than the completion of the mission, right? It's the curse of Strahd. He's the person I faced at the end well, of Ravenloft. That's well, what's is funny. It? No, that's Actually, what's funny. And I, yeah, I tried to, to kind of pepper that, especially later in the game when you guys started actually talking to him. But the curse of Strahd really is his own curse. He's cursed to be in this place. He can't escape. Sure, he's trapped yeah. forever. But it's, you feel like that's the thing that you're after but, always, Yeah, but right? that's not really this. 
Symp- that's not sympathetic, though, right? It's just like, oh, well, yeah. too bad, man. Like, you well, deserve there, to be here. <laughs> there is a way to present country. that as sympathetic, that you have to lift Strahd's curse and redeem him in order to lift the curse on Barovia. Mm. I don't think that's how they did it, but I mean, there, that is a way to present it and then figure out how do you redeem this guy who seems to be pretty much irredeemable. That's a much more complicated adventure, and I don't think Watsy wanted to get into that kind of complication with what was effectively like the second mod they released, I think, in 5th edition. It was I early. mean, we're not exactly up on the times here. We're, we're, this is one of the first modules they released. Yeah. <laughs> we're not exactly cutting edge on this. We one. like to give it a good 10 years, 15 years before we get into something. You know? got to age, like a fine wine or a good scotch. you gotta got to give it some time in the barrel. You know? So you guys, you know, we, you guys told me what you kind of did enjoy and stuff but you know put me up on the rack here what uh what didn't i mean obviously the sympathetic side or the more uh villain side but what else like what points would be more or less of i feel like i've abused you rather thoroughly at points throughout the campaign i mean i, I don't know I, I can't be the only one making fun of you for the lack of treasure uh the fact that i'm silvering a weapon at level seven while your brother's walking around with the sun sword i mean i, I i've already thrown all my tomatoes well that's tony's point anyone else <laughs> honestly i can't think of anything anything besides saying you know like the storyline with arena but that's that's about it. I was I was struggling trying to find something to say I didn't like, and I think a lot of it had to do with the various players. Because even not having mom on here to talk about her perspective, um, we all had different personalities that shine through. Yeah. But I will say, side note, squirrel again, uh, Velaki. Yeah. I used to say then honorary Vistani. Every time he said Velaki, I'd be like Vistani, and you're oh, like, that's no, right. that's the so, that's how. <laughs> that might be it. Yeah. Sorry, side note there. The major uh, city in Barovia, yeah. The only thing I did not like yeah. is my hum- homunculus dying. Cuteness was not allowed to die. Well, there's not. That's the only thing. That's the only thing I didn't uh, like. Outside now, of that. Yeah, you kidding me? He was going after my familiar. And sometimes it was like, sometimes you pull stuff of my familiar, like, he cuts the wire. Oh, he attacked the wire. Oh, I can see him. Now he's dead. No, I didn't mean to attack the wire. Too bad. He's dead now. <laughs> the, the wire might consider that an attack. You get to choose what your action is. Your component a, interaction to cut the wire is not an attack. The reading of the text. But uh, I will say, for the homunculus, anyone who just willy-nilly walks into literally the kill box of the Amber Temple, they have it coming, because you have about nine fireballs firing at you I from round one. I don't know that. So. She didn't know that. She was just going over to help hey, somebody. And tell Chris Perkins she's about down. it. Okay? Tell Chris oh, I was so sad. That's the only part I didn't like. Oh, It was okay. very sad. So I got it out in the game, and I grieved. I, I will say that, that in, in that particular spot, where we're facing a kill box with six flame skulls and an arcana lift. Having just played with flame skulls myself in in, oh. in, in my own game. Oh my god, right? Dave was very gentle. He was very, <laughs> very gentle with those flame skulls. Like he especially the way we went, because at one point, like I think Hawk ran on the floor. And I'm like, no, that's not what we want to do. And like, here come fireballs. Like you don't have a ton of fireballs with them, but you've got a lot of fiery stuff. Oh, yeah. And that's just a lot of ranged attacks. And if the party does anything wrong, you can light them up. Um, so I thought Dave was very, was, was, was very, uh, he, he was, he was nice to us in that case. Fair. <laughs> my character is not me. And Hawk Morgan is not brilliant at all times. So when I get my character gets bored and starts charging across the floor because, you know, we've been in one spot for too long, or I'm like, ooh, there's a, 
uh, there's a, a wagon. Let me open this door. What could possibly happen? And like a nuclear blast goes off. Hey, <laughs> that shit happens. And that's why you're my BFF. <laughs> no one said I was perfect. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm hard-pressed to find something I really enjoy. Like I said, like there's not a lot of magic items. So when I once I got the Sun Sword, I was like the marked man. And everybody's like, oh, Scar, why don't you just go kick that person's ass with your awesome lightsaber? You know, so I think that they're... I mean, obviously, Barovia is a bit of a poor area. So there's not going to be, you know, treasure on everybody or something like that. But I think it was a little treasure poor, maybe, or something. But I think that's the module. And the, the leveling of it. But I think that's the nature of any of these. Like, I'm dealing with it now with Tomb of Annihilation, whether you're talking about going XP or Milestone. Rewarding players at the end. Like, we would go several sessions sometimes without it. And that's part of how you have to do it and everything like that. But... You know, I'm like a leveling up guy always like that's my thing. And it's like there's there was something about because it takes so long to go that we were a bit of a completist. So that made things kind of go on. We would search every room in the temple and everything like that. But um, so, and it, you know, with that, Chris, because we've talked about this a lot with the leveling uh, between Storm King's Thunder and now yeah. Curse of Strahd, it kind of sometimes puts you on the rocket ship. Yeah. But that sometimes slows you way down, too. Yeah, we did 16 sessions in. Uh, Storm Kings, and we ended at a level, we were at level 11, and then I think Tony dropped us to 12 right at the end of the adventure kind of thing, if we ever continued with anything. And with Strahd, you guys are level 12 now in 25 sessions. So that's literally every two, but it was like, you had like three or four in a succession, and then it would be several years. So it did feel slow at times. I think that's the monthly thing. Right. It's the the uh, problem okay. is yeah. that the, I think the frequency plays into that. Like I'm a, you know, I'm like a rewards guy. Like I, so I like yeah. that part about leveling up your character and stuff like that. And I think when you stretch it out monthly, sometimes it can feel long when in fact it's only a couple sessions and it's the appropriate amount of time, but it's something that's definitely a struggle, but that's a, it was, it was enjoyable. Yeah. Like I don't really have anything bad to say about the thing. It was, I felt like a really authentic, uh, you know, telling of Curse of Strahd with some cool stuff added. I think I can about the leveling when it's a monthly yeah. thing. Yeah. I think I can actually explain that even maybe a little a little differently that might even make a little more sense. When you're playing monthly and you go three sessions without leveling, you've gone three months. You've gone an entire yeah. season with nothing new. You yeah. know? So when you combine that with the low magic item, because one of the things that okay, so part of the reason you like leveling is it gives you new stuff to play with, which makes your character more interesting. You have to learn how to play with the new toys. So if you go three months without getting any new toys, it gets a little boring. You've got nothing new to do. You're just doing the same stuff again and again. This isn't really your problem, Dave. I think yeah. this is a bigger problem with kind no, of monster on leveling. I don't care either. I'm surprisingly, yeah. I'm surprisingly non-phased, but no, <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Oh, come on. No, 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 no. That's an excellent point, though, Thor. Yeah, especially when you have such a low magic adventure, as we've discussed. Yeah, Tony? And well, I, I got to poke well, well, Real quick, right. one thing. One, one thing and one thing, other thing I want to throw in there. We were in the Amber Temple for like three sessions. So like, yeah. we literally spent three months just exploring the Amber Temple, maybe four months. That's true. And That's sometimes true. all that was was just looking for more treasure, looking in every door. And there wasn't a lot of fighting. There wasn't leveling, and that was one th- one spot where I think that really kind of came up. Probably, Chris, is that is that about right? 
I mean, there was, I think there was one session where there was like interview, like we held like, like the job interview session with each of the dark powers, uh, like underneath <laughs> there, like, like, <laughs> yeah. like Phineas yeah. brought them each into a room and had a quick interview, to like see if they were right for the position. And like, I'm sorry, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to let you go. Where do you see yeah. yourself in five years? I can feel that would be a little slow. Yeah, when you add that to the, the leveling and the not many magic items, especially not many magic items that make a huge difference, you kind of wind up not getting new stuff for a while. So I'm, I'm sorry, Tony. I didn't mean to cut you off. Good point. I have to get this last dig on you, Dave. Yes. My last Christmas, my gift, I didn't get the benefits for six in the real life months because that's how long the time took to pass. The I know, I know. When I when I was reading that, I'm like, okay, you have to read it in 48 hours over six days. But the six days in our game in Barovia was like six months, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I think there was some lost count there too. To be honest with you, I, I think because I think we we took more long rests than I think counted towards the book. Possible. possible. Now, if we're talking actual days. That's how long it took because I was tracking this shit. Wrong. I'll tell you, if we really broke it down, I haven't gone back to to count exactly, but in all those twenty five sessions, the whole campaign I think happened in under a month of like you being really? in the world time. Like a month is is probably right around, maybe a little more, a couple days plus or minus. But yeah, it was not actually a long time. But that's what gets so strange is that that we talked about it, that almost time dilation of game to real time to frequency to to to. So those are good points, though, to for you know what to else happens about to the milestone. Here's the other thing that happens to a milestone, though. Your adventure is set to end pretty much at a certain level. Yeah. So you rocket through some early levels. And now all of a sudden you're like, if you have a group like us who's exploring every nook and cranny. We're picking up many, many. We're gonna. We're, it's like when you. It's like when you spend a lot of time level grinding in Final Fantasy, and then you get to the boss because Final and at least in Final Fantasy VII, the boss wasn't tied to your level. The boss was set where it was. You go mop up the boss in two seconds because you were out fighting harder monsters, just training and looking through every nook and cranny, and you kind of wind up in that where it's like I can't lift you anymore in a level. Because Strahd's only CR8, and you guys are going to mop the floor with him. I mean, yeah. eventually you gave us what a CR. What was the Strahd you wound up you wound up fighting us about? CR18? I no, I I kind of balanced them out to be around a CR20. I kind of broke yeah. out the, okay. the DMG to see how, like what kind of damage output and that type of stuff. So I'll probably put something like that together just for people to see because there's so many adaptations of Strahd out there. So why not one that's a CR20? But that's a good point, Thor. Just real quick, so for people that are running it, the Curse of Strahd is listed for characters of first to tenth level. And that's, in essence, how they break it out. But Death House itself ends you at level three. It also has the same problem that Tony had in Storm Kings, where halfway through one session, you might be leveling up. So you have to, like, start playing with that dial. After that, any time you guys take out one of the villains is supposed to be a level, and if you find one of the major artifacts, Sun Sword, Tome of Strahd, Holy Symbol of Ravenkind, something like that, you also gain a level. When you add all of those things up, it adds up to like 12, 13, 14, depending on how you're counting it. So I don't know where they got this idea of this first to 10th level thing. And I think that's why such people, so many people who are running it have problems running Strahd, because they're always running them against a pretty massively powered party. That's well above, uh, especially if it's a party of six. I mean, it's Strahd CR8, right? 15. 15. Oh, Strahd is 15. Okay. Because yeah. I think a regular vampire is CR8, isn't it? 
Uh, no, uh, Vampire Lord is like a CR 13, so that's what I had Charlie Manx right. set at, okay. yeah. uh, just to kind of get a sense. Uh, Vampire Spawns are fives. Uh, Nosferatu's are eights, though, and you saw what happens when you throw a couple of those on the battlefield. I mean, I've also seen, yeah, I've put you guys in Woodstock Wanderers against several vampires, none of whom did much to slow anybody down. <laughs> like, they're pretty, like, like I mean, uh, vampires, vampire lords, vampire fledglings, they pretty much get chewed up right away. Like, they're not hard to take down at all. That If you want them to be as tough as a vampire theoretically should be, you need that immunity to be to, like, everything, not just non-magic things. You, you need something else there. Yeah, true. In your case, so with vampires and werewolves, we sort of half teased on it in Strahd, where Beth's character was uh, bitten by a werewolf at one point, and she uh, was almost going to be that. But yeah. literally, like, to make the vampire thing where a character might actually turn into a vampire or a werewolf, where there would legitimately be the danger. Like, we were, we teased at it a little bit, but, I mean, have you guys ever had a campaign where a character actually went full vampire or lycanthrope or something like that? Or was it somehow affected the way, like, when you fought them, someone contracted it? Obviously not in Curse of Strahd. <laughs> yeah, I've no, I mean, we, it, it was close. It was close, but, it, it um, you know, we were able to lift the curse on her. Yeah. I mean, I think, Dave, you were a little reluctant to do character changes, weren't you? I mean, you, between that and the Amber Temple, like, you were, like, reluctant to turn characters evil and kind of do go the full werewolf route, weren't you? Uh, not really. I mean, the so Fenris, Beth's character, had been bitten by the werewolf. Uh, and was cursed with lycanthropy that would develop. It's a, it's a specific formula. But when you have characters that have access to certain spells like remove curse, then you're, it's not a problem, you know? Yeah. Uh, when you have vampires, but you have characters who can create daylight or, or radiant things, then, you know, it becomes or less... have a sun sword. <laughs> exactly. When you have something like that, it becomes less of an issue, yeah. Like the scariest thing about zombie movies is the fact that the zombies could immediately infect you and that you could become infected. Not necessarily that they could kill you, but that you could become one of them. And then yeah. there are more and more of them keep yeah. showing up like to be able to play them. But I was reluctant to do automatic alignment changes. I think that that's nonsense. And that's kind of the dark powers thing. You're supposed to immediately go to chaotic evil if you fail your thing and that's it. And that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't find that uh, satisfying narratively. Or even me game mechanic. Yeah, with the dark powers, if someone said to you, even if they were shady, like, hey, I just want to help you. I'll give you a powerful magic weapon. You're like, okay, I like the powerful magic weapon. Ha ha! Now you have fish skills, and you can't see out of your left eye, and you're evil. And you have a magic sword. Take that. Yeah, or it's like, think about, like, not, even though a lot of people don't care for the movie, I kind of like it, but I'm a Nick Cage fan. But Ghost Rider, right? Or the idea of Ghost Rider, he takes this pact, becomes the Ghost Rider. How unsatisfying is that movie or story when now he's just riding around being evil? Like the 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 interesting thing is him fighting the 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 urges, right? It's fighting sure. the temptation. Yeah. I actually have had uh werewolf characters in my games before, but they weren't evil werewolves. So actually one of my first campaigns I had a buddy who played a uh, we put together a homebrew werewolf, which I thought was pretty cool. We had a lot of fun with that. Like, I don't think that's fundamentally a problem. And I don't think it's fundamentally a problem. In my games, if someone contracts vampirism or lycanthropy and they don't stop it, they're becoming a werewolf or a lycanthrope. 
Like that's yeah. going to happen. And we're going to play it out. I'm not going to retire that character. I'm not going to say, oh, you're chaotic evil, you're DMPC. I'm going to put that on the player. I'm going to give the player the opportunity to play with that idea. As you guys have seen in Woodstock Wanderers, I, I, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that. So for me, that's how I would handle that sort of thing. But you do have to have players who were interested in exploring the dark side a little bit. If you had evil characters be spawned from that, it would have to be introduced. We're going to say, I'm going to give you a clear advantage. You're going to get something you normally would not. I will open a door for you, but this is the trade. You can't be like, hey, I'm a nice guy. I want to help you. And you accept it, and then you're evil. You can, but I don't feel like that's well, compelling as a story. Well, but they I mean, were, and how hard they, is they it to play evil, dark too? Not everyone can do it. Yeah, I mean, they were called the Dark Powers, right? I mean, they, they, they were definitely the, something aligned with Strahd and Darkness. It's how Strahd became a vampire through one of the Dark Gifts. I mean, it's not like there weren't warnings. It's not like we... Now, Phineas did try to sell you that these were good things because to Phineas, they were opportunities, and he had no problem with that. But, you know, Phineas probably shouldn't be the party moral compass. Yeah, well, get ready for character bitching if you have a chaotic, evil, you know, rogue on your hands, and they're like, hey, I just heard this voice. I went with it. I have a magic bow, and now I stabbed an eight-year-old, you know, like... (laughs) Yeah, I, as we've said in previous episodes, too, I for me with that and the, the not immediate alignment shift, I I liken it back to the Lord of the Rings, where the story is the constant temptation and the, the degradation of your will and your goodness over time to this evil. And I, I find that yeah. more narratively satisfying and story wise, too. I think it's more fertile soil to role play. I mean, I think you can give them the powers and then have them fight the alignment battle. Yeah. Like the alignment and that's battle. Exactly what happened with uh, with Hawk and Scar. As we said, they got all the stuff, but then all of a sudden now they're starting to slip, you know, and I started playing with some of the paladin like, you know, abilities all of a sudden, like they were gone one morning, you know, and then they were back and then they were gone. So and it forced them, as we talked many times through their redemption arcs, which uh, which I thought were, were fun. Hulk was no longer the people's champion. He was going through a whole heel turn. Yeah, he put was on a black and white a NWO shirt. And that worked out perfectly because, like, the dark powers and the black tendrils, and they turned him with all the black boa and stuff. Like, it was literally <laughs> just watching him go to the NWO. Like, that was it. <laughs> that is such a singular thing that I think we all watched around the same time that I wonder how many people remember now. Yeah. The whole WCW <laughs> getting the WWF character, like, uh, hijacking a bunch of WWF wrestlers and then bringing them over and making them the NWO where they all turned evil. All of our younger younger listeners are wondering, what the hell are these boomers talking about, man? (laughs) Well, they know wrestling, though. Wrestling's back in. I don't know if we're... I'm not watching it so much these days, but it's back. I understand it's back. So, Dave, we could have gone totally evil there. We could have leaned into that right there. That could have been a huge tipping point. Yes. Star and I had said... F this, we're happy being evil because we like this cool shit you've given us. Actually, Scar, I have no idea what you got other than fur. I feel like you got really <laughs> F on your deal. But you gave me <laughs> He kind of did. He kind of did, yeah. <laughs> You're like, hey, bro, how about super strength and lightning powers? And I'm like, well, those are cool. Ugh. No, so I totally... That- it it could have easily gone that way to the point where I was discussing with Chris about if he was going to take the if he was going to transfer over to the Oathbreaker Paladin uh, archetype, well, which I would have been cool with. I it, totally, you know, I was totally cool with if Hawk Morgan all of a sudden becomes really 
way too powerful and really fucked up in his head. And now the rest of the party has to deal with that. You know, I was I was always ready to play that out. And you said tricks. I don't know if I'm a good enough role player to be able to play something like chaotic evil. Like, I think I can play like, I mean, any alignments like is it you guys find it easy to be able to play something like that? So if I said you're normally this type of character, like little one, and then all of a sudden now she's chaotic and I say, okay, you're chaotic evil. Like that's that's pretty difficult. That's pretty like that's a level of of evilness that would be tough for me to be able to play effectively. Like I'd end up wanting to help people. Can anyone prove that Little One wasn't necessarily chaotic evil? I don't know. Whoa! Fireball right in the middle of the party. I'm not sure. You give the impulse person that's also full of wonder and fun and shenanigans as well as crafty and and all these like like a little child you give them yeah. a wand of whatever is about to happen is going to happen yeah that's yeah. my wheelhouse Welcome right there and just there, go hold up <laughs> there's a really funny character comparison in uh a new christmas movie that just came out on netflix which one was that um a boy named christmas i think yeah uh, so yeah it's actually pretty good but one of the interesting things is he winds up throwing in jail in like the elven village because the elves are reclusive and, and they've had a bad thing happen. And he's in jail with a, uh, what was she called? What? She's a truth fairy, I guess, in her sprite. Truth pixie, I think. Truth pixie, yeah. Okay, so all she does is tell the truth, but it turns out all she does is tell the exact truth. No one likes her for this. But it turns out she also out. really likes blowing things up. And she's <laughs> carrying around weeds that if you eat them, if you force them in someone's mouth, it blows their head up. <laughs> like I'm like this is this is the chaotic evil. She's not chaotic evil, I don't think. But I'm like that's how you do it. Like if you do kind of this twist, you know, she's just like I'm just being honest. And the truth is, I want to see things. I like seeing things blow up. People, <laughs> elves, candy canes, whatever. I just want things to crack. <laughs> uh, phenomenal. <laughs> just to answer your question though, as far as like things that we that that there were a couple minor things that I would bring up. The biggest one probably is I wasn't a big fan of us not getting the long rest heading into the last battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason for that isn't just that we didn't have access to those resources. It's fundamentally as a DM, I think the big bad boss battle, you want to let the party come in with their best stuff. Like, I don't think you want to weaken the party before that because of the nature of what that battle is. You know what I mean? So I would have liked to have seen us all get a nice long rest before we went into the bat to the dinner with Strahd. But it's also, I'm also saying that not just from the point of view of as a character, but as a DM, when I put my players up against the big boss guy, when I, the B, the BBEG, the big, bad, evil guy, it's supposed to be a clash of the Titans. It's supposed to be everyone's got all their best stuff because believe me, the evil guy does. And we're going to, that is supposed to be the full throwdown. So I want the party rested coming into that as a DM, as well as as a player. That's really about it. You know, killing the familiar got a little gotcha, but to be fair, I was being kind of gotcha with the familiar on the, on the player side. I was doing, he was causing quite a lot of havoc. I mean, once I got the wand, once I got the wand of heat metal and I'm like, oh, that doesn't ruin invisibility. Drop your sword. I pick up your sword. I run it down the stairs. I throw it out a window. Ah, well, what do you know? The villain doesn't have a weapon anymore. It's down the punches and kicks. I hope you can bite well. <laughs> so I kind of get that. The arena thing just being a little, a little sudden, 
you know, there wasn't a ton of lore. I think that was more due to the module than due to you. Also, I don't know if the group was that lore tolerant, to be honest. Well, some was. Actually, Bonnie, everything Bonnie said she remembered about it was kind of a little, like, everything Bonnie, everything you said you liked wasn't like a mechanical thing. It was like a little memorable lore thing or a little memorable thing that happened in the party. Those were the things that stood out to you. So maybe there could have been a little more lore, but I don't know if the game, if the campaign set up that way. You know, we got the Tome of Strahd very late. It can be, because there's tons of lore throughout all of Barovia and with Strahd, obviously. And I peppered in some of it, but it kind of, it all depended on what you guys were looking into, what questions you were asking, what you were trying to figure out, right? Yeah, and I guess none of us are really that interested in finding out, huh, so why is Strahd an asshole? No, and you, uh, you obtained the Tome of Strahd uh later game late really uh, so that and i also just so people know too i did change the tome of strad i made it the uh if you go online you can start to see some ideas uh i kind of changed it for myself uh but the interactive tome of strad so what i did was i had the, all those blank pages to allow you to ask a question that i would then fill in answers to now if you had that earlier let's say like when you guys found the sun stored if it was the tome of strad that would have really changed the lore, the the lore right. amount in the game because you would have asked all of these questions that I would have had to come up answers for, you know. Are there just things in the book though that's like here's Strahd's story and you can kind of give players this paragraph and that paragraph? Backstory. Yeah. Because like that didn't come up very much, you know, as far as backstory goes. No, and it's very true. I did have Strahd somewhat as a very distant enemy. Yeah, almost. Yeah, uh, yeah almost. He just wasn't around. You knew he was there. It was more his presence rather than him himself. I didn't mind that, but it did lead to like, you know, we talked about kind of why was the game this way instead of that way. That's probably a bit of why it was like a little lore light and why some of the stuff was just like we like the Irina thing. Like we just kind of stumbled into it. Right. Like we didn't even know. I don't know if we knew about Sergey. Like it's just like, oh, okay, that that works, you know. But I don't feel like that was I think that's more on the module than on you. You know, Mm. none of that's really a poke and observation. There was three major magical items in that game. The sword, the book, and the icon of the Raven Kind, which we didn't freaking find. Yeah. 25 <laughs> sessions in, well, we didn't find the symbol. The third artifact is actually the holy symbol of Ravenkind. The icon of Ravenloft is in the castle. You, It's literally just sitting there in the chapel. So I actually, when I sent out the little, remember if I sent out the teaser of the, so we, we I talked about this guy last session, the Benios battle maps, and he makes these 3D interactive maps of all of Curse of Strahd. And he has a little trailer one where a guy's running through uh, Castle Ravenloft and he's gotten trapped and he's losing his mind about it. He runs into the chapel and you see on the altar, the holy icon of Ravenloft. And it's sitting there, I said, for anyone who's watching it, I thought that you would have found that. And I thought the next game that Hawk was going to immediately run towards the chapel and pick up the icon. <laughs> I was more Medicaid. concerned about the spider. Yeah. The other, uh, the holy symbol, though, it, the Taraka deck put it in the crypts. And like I said, I rolled out where these randomly were before the game ever started so that I knew where they were going to be. And I let the dice drop where they were. So some of them were really, really helpful and others were really crap locations for them. Like one of them is in the crypts of Ravenloft. Good luck. So (laughs) do you recommend that as a way to do this in the future? Like, would you do that? If you're going to do this again, is that how you do it? No, I would. Now it did. Some of it did add to the story. When I rolled out that Sir Godfrey was going to be the ally, 
that yeah. gave me a ton because then I turned into the whole uh, Sir Alorid Scar being this former knight of the Order of the Silver Dragon, and I made Godfrey his brother, who is now a Revenant knight, and he is now have, being introduced to the new Alurid, you know, who is somehow reborn when the tide has turned, you know. Um, so that was cool. So that gave me gave me uh, impetus for like some story building. Other than that, it just puts it in various locations. I like the mechanic that it can change the game if you run it multiple times. But yeah, you might want to put certain things going back. I probably would have made the Sun Sword a little bit more maybe mid campaign that you finally find it, you know. As opposed so, to level four. <laughs> so you'd recommend, would you recommend placing those things intentionally rather than randomly? Yeah, a lot like of people do. I would say roll it out because it might, it, it's, it might be good fodder for you to, to get your brain moving in terms of building story arcs. Uh, but if you don't like where it's putting it, then don't do that. Or if you don't want to make the Amber Temple too big or Yester Hill or whatever, don't put it where it, where it says it's going to be there, you know, or in the catacombs of Ravenloft, let's say. <laughs> so you would say roll it first, but then consider what that's going to do to your game and adjust. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there. You can go online and they'll tell you, here's some really good places to put it. So, but in the end, just get a sense of where you want it, or put it wherever, <laughs> you know, who the hell cares? I mean, honestly, yes, I knew one of the artifacts just from the lore was in the chapel, but... The problem there is that when it's there, we're 25 games in. You don't get to play with that. It's like, yay, yeah. I tuned it, zap, zap, and killed Strahd. Woo-hoo! And that's the flip side. In the original mod, the sword was in the crypt. And if that was in the crypt, that would have sucked. Yeah. Like, you would have never seen that awesome weapon. And when Scar picks it up, you're level 11. You're like, yeah, this is cool. Like, neat, bro. <laughs> actually, through actually all the vampires. I'll push back on that a little bit because if we found the sword while fighting Strahd and now all of a sudden we have his kryptonite sword while we're in the battle in the crypt, I think that actually would have been pretty cool. It would. I would say, I would recommend though, I think the sun sword is really cool, probably like mid campaign, maybe a little bit later, because as you pointed out, Thorin, a lot of those points where it didn't feel as much tension and dread, it would have felt a lot more. Like when the vampire spawn attacked you in the coffin maker shop in Valaki, that would have gone really differently had the sun sword not been there. What about, I mean, is there anything like Bonnie, uh, Chris, Shannon, anything you'd like to have seen? We talked about maybe like kind of what Dave could have, like, like what you liked or didn't like. Anything you think you would have done differently or would have liked to have seen done differently? Yeah, no, I thought... I thought it was really good. Like, I thought you really did it well. I thought you have a cool style with it. Like, you do the voices and stuff like that and everything. Like, you have that style. But I thought it, it covered a lot of the bases for me. I don't have this. I haven't done the, the five versions of Ravenloft there. I remember <laughs> the module from back in the day, right? Like, the picture on the front there. But I thought it was a really cool thing. It, like, all the different towns you brought the people alive and all the different towns there and stuff like that. It gave them, you know. There were people there. People kept coming back and we would meet them again and stuff like that at school. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything for myself. You know, there was a lot to explore. And collectively, the leaders of the of the party just kind of was like, well, let's go here. Let's go do this, you know, because of different snippets that they've had. The only thing I know my mom had said when I talked to her since she wasn't able to join tonight was that she wished she could explore more. She wanted to explore other areas. Um, but she's also a little bit of a silent player. 
who doesn't necessarily speak up as much mm. as well. So I will say, I, I don't know how much more you guys explored the hell out of Barovia, <laughs> man. Like every drawer was, I mean, there were points where you could spend more and more time, but yeah. Well, like, because of the way Wallachie went, and actually this comes up as one of my more memorable things, Wallachie turned bad on us really quickly. Yeah. Where Baba Saga hung up all the scarecrows that attacked us and started dropping fireballs in the town that we were blamed for and we had to leave. I understand that happens to a lot of parties, actually. That's kind of, there is a comic online of the party heading out of Wallachie in a Jeep, popping the middle finger to the burning town as they as they head out. So <laughs> I think that happens a lot. But when I think of places I thought I was going to be doing more, Wallachie really comes up. We never made it into the castle. We never made it into anything kind of, we, we did some interesting things there. We did kill one of the nobles. We did the whole Blinsky thing. We did the we met the, uh, the the Order of the Raven kind there, but like we didn't get into the mayor at all. We didn't yeah. do anything with, with that with that crab claw captain. I had all sorts of plans for him. I was going to do with him. So like that stuff, we kind of got sped out of Milwaukee. There's that, and I guess the other thing we could have explored wasn't there like one more. Well, there's the Lich's Tower we could still go to. We didn't go in there yet, and we didn't. Um, isn't there like one other place we didn't get to? Yeah, so you guys did not go. Like I said, I put the <clears throat> I developed the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, Where? He is in uh, oh, Lake. Wait. He's in Lake Zorovich up north. Okay. <laughs> um, so he was also funny enough. What did I pair him with? A sea hag, because Dave <laughs> is going to have a hag in every single game he runs until he retires. Now, so that's just my that's, my that's my villain. Our hags. I think this is an ex-girlfriend thing. I feel like you're secretly wanting to run Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Now, you know what? I got to beat up your 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 no. ten evil ex-girlfriends. No, here it is. This is what I really think it is. To the point where I named one of my pantheon back in the day, the Charlie's Angels TV series from the '70s. Right? Yeah. There was one. One of the angels was having like some sort of like memories of this like terrible foster parent or or grandmotherly she was called beamish so frightening to my young mind like just her look was just like you know and her name was beamish and it was just freaky man and that stuck with me so like my in my pantheon i have the mother of madness is named beamish and she's like the goddess of all that is like aberrations and what's wrong in the world right like the extra planar things you know anyway so i think that's where the hags might come in that makes sense that's pretty cool there were a lot of hags in uh curse of strahd already i only added one so so i guess you know one last question then we'll get the final thoughts just dave anything else you would have done differently if you were playing this again yeah. You know, we mentioned the whole random random placement thing. Anything else you think you would do differently? I have another advice you have for a new DM picking this up. Yeah, I, pro I probably would have done a lot of things differently. And a lot of it would have changed depending on what players brought to me in terms of character. Like I said in last episode, that drove a lot of what was going to be important. I probably would definitely play up the arena storyline differently. I would like to play with her being this... Uh, like she's supposed to be the burgomaster when her father passes and she's a she's not going to be taken down by this this terrible stalker guy. So she's like a badass, you know, fighter that would go along with the party or something. Right. Um, other than that, I would really let the the players. Because like I said last episode, the the back and forth that we had, it was so improv and so almost like jazz. You guys would do things and I would respond to that. 
And then you guys would respond to what I did. And then, and it was that back and forth. So session to session, I didn't know what necessarily was going to go down or what you were going to want to explore. Velaki, like you said, could have done, that's the big turning point. Velaki is your, is your crossroads. And that opens up all of the rest of Barovia. And it's right around that level five, six time. Um, so there's a lot that you can do there, you know. But I think some players get lost in it because there's so much to do. Well, and also once you hit the once once Babala Saga pulls her thing and attacks the town, the town blames you. So you kind of get run out of town eventually. Yeah, I kind of added the Babala Saga attacking. Oh, really? Yeah. Scarecrow attacks on part of the events. One of the events they have is what's called St. Andrew's Feast, which is uh, those bones that had been had been robbed from the parish, from the church that you have to go find in the coffin maker shop where the vampire spawn are. The whole point is that the, the church has now been desanctified so Strahd can invade it. And he's now planted his vampire. So during the St. Andrew's feast, that's his big feast thing. All hell breaks loose. Strahd comes, the the spawn attack, all this stuff happens. I just turned that into Babalai Saga attacking instead because I kind of wanted to play with her. I thought it was fun. <laughs> it turned out to be a pretty awesome battle, I think. It did. It definitely did. All right. So let's get to final thoughts. And I think the best place to start is probably with our guest, um, Bonnie. What are your final thoughts on the Curse of Strahd campaign? I thought it was a lot of fun, I will say, and not just because I'm, you know, in a relationship with the DM. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but I wanted to say it. Oh, this is a very adult podcast. Uh, <laughs> personally, uh, I out of all the characters that I've played so far, Little One is my favorite. Absolutely. Um, and I know it's because I brought in my personality into it and I can relate to her. I can, you know, do some of the crafty things that I would do naturally around my home where I just randomly pick something up and go, I'm going to turn this into this. So, you know, players out there that might be struggling with their character and maybe they want to role play a little bit more and they don't really feel like they can. Make sure you're pulling a little bit of you in or you be the person that you want it to always be. So even if that's not you, but find that right little balance between who you are or maybe who you want to play and just roll with it. So but it was fun. I enjoyed it. And I little one is not dying ever. She's going to be playing further games, even if she has to start over from scratch and she has complete memory loss. There's a whole multiverse out there. There's yes. Multiple, multiple little ones. There's a little one in every universe. Yeah, they can all be different classes. You could have little one as a cleric, little one nope. as a rogue. Little one. <laughs> She's a tinkerer. Always will be. Uh, so what about you, Shannon? What about what are your final thoughts on the Curse of Scrod game? Um, I thought it was fun. Um, I like that I got to play a rogue. It was the first time I played a rogue. Um, so that Gun was missiles. interesting. <laughs> Gun missiles. How <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> you, Chris? What are your final thoughts on Curse of Strahd? I mean, like everyone said, it was fun. I thought it was really cool. I've never had a character uh, up to level 12. Like, we were ascending to different levels. The depth of the campaign was really cool. Like, I have um, pages and pages of notes here. And I'm just kind of going through it as we're talking. And I'm like, the Mist of Barovia and all these Vistani, which I think may also be something else that Little One was constantly uh, saying that that was the other <laughs> thing as well. Vistani. The dream pastries, like the dream pastries being people, like Soylent Green style. Oh, yeah. And everything, yeah. like there is, there was so much to it. It was really cool. It was very well done. 
And thank you, Dave. It was uh, it was a pleasure to uh, play along. Being a paladin there was super awesome. I recommend it to anybody. Awesome. It's, uh, the Divine Smite is the uh, <laughs> one of the greatest powers in the game. <laughs> All right, Tony. I'm going to push back on that and saying the Barbarian's better because not dying is the greatest power. <laughs> Here we have the, the, the battle between the, 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 the unstoppable smite and the unkillable rage. <laughs> I'll eventually die of hypertension. It's okay. I think it's, but in all seriousness, it's really easy to look back at notes from 25 games ago and, uh, you know, maybe we could have done this better or whatnot. It was a very big and comprehensive, difficult act for Dave to carry, honestly, because Ravenloft is very, is very covered material for a lot of more seasoned players. Strahd is one of the most iconic villains you could possibly ask for, and it was a very enjoyable game. We had a very diverse group of players. We did not take it. like some. Of the, I feel bad for some of the other players, but half the group was trying to be somewhat ridiculous and so they're having to try to be somewhat serious and somehow we managed to mess without killing each other and <laughs> and honestly beginning to end even that climatic boss fight thank you for juicing Strahd because that would have been a real suck as we walked in there I just hit him with a steel chair and he didn't get up I'm like why the hell he's just an old man and you beat him <laughs> it, is, it is really Leslie Nielsen he's like ow my back and you're just like walking out off. feeling bad about yourself like that, that's know. a way to make him sympathetic yeah, he's got arthritis yeah no. that, that would have been tragic but no. the worst thing the big bag can do is make you feel guilty <laughs> But no, without a doubt, it was a very enjoyable uh, campaign to show. I'll jump in with my final thoughts. Then, Dave, I'll give you last word again. Sound good? I love it. All right. Yeah, I thought it was a yeah, I thought, I thought it was a really good campaign. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I mentioned my nitpicks, but they're really nits. So as far as the, I was looking forward to coming into this game and playing this game every every time we played every month. You know, and I think it was a it was a lot of fun. You did a great job balancing, as Tony's talked about, the serious and non-serious characters without letting your you know, some of us brought characters that challenged the seriousness of the setting. And you did a really good job of absorbing that without yielding your setting. You know, your setting was still what you wanted it to be. You didn't let it turn into Transylvania 65000, even <laughs> though some of us were actively trying to make it that because we thought it would be the worst thing we could possibly do to Strahd. So, I mean, that right there, balancing the balance of players in, in the ways we were approaching the game and still having your game in a serious gothic Curse of Strahd campaign. I thought you did a great job balancing all that out. And I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was really like it was just really enjoyable. I, I you know, uh, we got a lot of levels. We climbed through 12 levels coming through this. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to keep the game going in new directions. So we're all really curious to see where that is. Well, I hope, I hope, because again, like I said, thank you, everybody. And thank you because I can't stress it enough. If you get a good group together, it that's when you can really make all of this stuff happen. So that's when all of our advice that we keep trying to say really comes into play. It's all about who's at your table. We've talked about curating groups, and I think that's what we've really been doing over this past year and a half, curating some really great groups. I will reiterate what I said last time. This is a great adventure. I highly recommend it to run it. Beginner or or expert DMs, doesn't matter. It lives up to the hype, in my opinion. I would definitely, though, look through it, and I would look online. There is such a massive community 
of Curse of Strahd people who have started to play with it. Uh, I never looked into her personally, but I know a lot of people use Mandy Mods. She did an entire breakdown of Curse of Strahd and how to build on that. I don't have anything experientially, but I will, again, give shout outs to Lunch Break Heroes on YouTube. He is phenomenal. And Mike Shea. He is like, he's my guy. He's helped me out in so many ways. But for Curse of Strahd specifically, a lot of great stuff to just elevate your game to a whole nother level. Dude, thank you very much for running it. And thank all of you, uh, especially our, our special guest here, Bonnie, Shannon, and Chris, for coming on to talk about it. It's, uh, thanks a lot for, for having a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yep. Thank you for having us. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs from Home. If you like what you're hearing, please smash that five-star rating button, leave us a good review, tell your friends. If you'd like to hear us talk about something you're having a problem with, please send it in to threewisedms at gmail.com or go to our website, threewisedms.com, put it in the what's your problem field, or talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're active on all those social networks, and we're always looking for for new questions to help DMs with. We often answer uh, listener questions, so if you have anything you'd like to hear us talk about, go ahead and send that in, and we'll do our best to see it makes the air. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Thank you.